Welcome to Can I Speak to Your Product Manager? The nitty gritty with your favorite PMs. I'm Kyle Kolich, Vice President of Product at Zora. And I'm Lucas Weber, Director of Product Management at Zora. On today's episode, we have Mikey Chang, Group Product Manager at Niantic. And we're going to start off the show, as usual, by getting to know our guests through a little rapid fire game of ship it or skip it. What do you want to do? Let's do it. No. No. Maybe. Yes. This is kind of a, a, a common trait, a, a trait needed by, for a product manager to be able to assess a product, to understand is this something you want to ship it, bring it to market, something you, you, you buy in, you want to you move forward with it, or something you want to skip it, just push it out, never do it again, never see the light of day. So we'll give a couple ones at you and see what you, uh, see what you think. So the first one, since it's being you know, the holiday season and you know, one of the holiday presents that seem to always pop up over and over again is the fruitcake. Are you a ship it or skip it? I would ship it. However, I think it needs to adapt to sort of like the, the new, new day and age. So perhaps maybe have a different kind of substance instead of the gelatin. And maybe the fruit is a little more, you know, uh, just more, more fancy and more fresh. And then I think it can kind of do a lot better. So you would, you would take the fruitcake itself and, 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 and almost make the next gen fruitcake that will be dominating the market. Perhaps, V2. yeah, or deconstructed or some, some, something else. Deconstructed fruitcake. Yeah, All right. or, yes. or, you, or, you, or you ship it, it's original, and you can kind of keep it as a gag gift, which kind of is, is what it kind of does today. So uh, bacon car air freshener. So this is where you're in your car, mm. instead of the typical evergreen or the lemon scent, that for a gift, maybe for someone who loves bacon, a bacon car air freshener. Ship it. I think people will actually love it. And again, there will also be people who will gift it as a gag gift potential. Wow. Okay. You're you're just, you're just shipping everything. And another way to update it, I think it needs to sort of have some sort of like ring functionality, perhaps, you know, maybe not let off some of the bacon scents so much, you know, when you're not in the car, save it, you know, maybe sometimes you want some bacon smell, sometimes you don't, right? So you've got to be able to adjust the the strength. strength. I see. So a way of adjusting the bacon not to overwhelm, but to give an enticing smell. Yeah. And that would be the winner. Yes. So I was under the assumption you're going to say skip it to all of these two, but you have not. So you've actually shipped it to. So, th- so I'm, my bet is I'm 0 for 2, but I bet this one will we'll test you. We're going to test you in this one. So I saw the other day, so uh, fanny packs, you know what fanny packs are, are becoming <laughs> more and more popular. I think someone like a lot of celebrities are wearing them more. But to, to kind of work with the de- demographic of, of certain middle-aged men is a, a fanny pack. It looks like a hairy belly. It blends in so you can look like a, a hairy belly. I've actually seen this picture. It looks pretty, pretty gross. But would you ship it or skip it? Skip it. I think, okay, the, uh, finally. The, I think, I think the addressable right, so- market is not large enough even as a gag gift. For the hair belly fanny pack. Okay. So, so even the gag, it, it's even too much. The, 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 yeah. the demographic hurts and then it's not, it's, it's not even good enough for a gag. It's so gross. What's it tough with the hair belly thing too, right, is the fanny pack then needs to be placed at exactly the right position all the time. That's right. And, and, also the, as, the, the place, and as Lucas some... knows, right, as a, as a dominant wearer of fanny packs, that they yep. move. You know, when you're doing right. your yep. yoga, you're doing your playing your games, walking around, chasing Things kids. shift. I'm going to tell shift. you things shift. Yep. So, you yeah. know, you can't have it. So you're, it's going to be weird seeing hair coming out of the side of your abdomen or your oblique. 
right? So it's just That's, not not look. Work. It's not unusual for us, perhaps, in at our age, to see things in weird places. But I agree with you that yeah, that would be a problem. So latest craze, my family's all into it. Pikmin Bloom. So you know Niantic makes Pikmin Bloom. I assume you mm. know this, and it's already shipped and in the wild. So I will say continue shipping it because we have a pretty okay. strong user base. Towing the party line. It's doing well. Okay. It's monetizing well. It's playing well. It's retaining well. Let's keep shipping it and keep iterating on it as we cool. are. Do, I, do you think that actually intercepts a different demographic for you guys than Pokemon Go? It actually does. It... On, a, on a serious note, it actually does. Yeah. Because a lot okay. of people are using this more as a passive sort of step counter. And then they, they use it as a step counter, but then they also, it's a gamified step counter because mm. you, you can do challenges with your friends. You can kind of see yep. who walked more steps. You defeat these mushrooms by basically like, you know, collecting more stuff along the way. So it's, it's really just a very fun, glorified step counter. Okay. Uh, there's definitely competition between my wife and one of my kids on this stuff. So they're, they're battling each other for steps. It's, it's exactly like what you're saying. So they're, they're into it. All right. And one last one. You then. can get, I'll throw sorry, it one, one thing. Yeah. You can get your wife a, a shaker, a phone shaker for, for Christmas. So basically there you go phone on it and it does this and it accrues steps. There oh, you wow. go. There you go. I used to do that with my actual step counter. I'd put it on a car <laughs> wheel as I drove to work. It's amazing that yeah. 10,000 steps, not a problem. I don't know why people complain. Mm, yeah. But fair enough, fair enough. Last one, impossible foods. Obviously, it's in the market, but what are your thoughts about it? Skip it. Either go oh. all in. Either go all in meat or go all in veg. Vegan. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't, don't do this don't half half. You know. Yeah. yeah, follow follow what Italy is doing, where they're banning the use of steak and salami on anything that's processed. Oh, wow. Meat. They're not allowed to label and say something's steak or something is salami if it was cultivated. Like grown in a lab or made out of vegetable yep. oil? They can't yep. say it's a steak? Okay. I mean, that makes it clear, you know? Yeah. And they, I think they Oppor know food, yeah. so that's always good. Yeah, but that's just an opportunity to just market new terms, right? So, you know, ah, steak with around. that. St like 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 fake fake steak fake steak fake steak fake them fake them fake them fake them that's right it's a new brand and on that relieving note let's move on to our next section PM power moves powering up power moves all right so this is where we get to the nitty gritty and really day to day stuff of the PM work that you do and really. Talk about what's happening in the world of PMs. So, Mikey, again, you're you're leading you know, work in Pokemon Go at Niantic. Tell us, you know, what are you doing there? What's what's top of mind for you? Yeah. So, I think for Pokemon Go, kind of the first thing I want to just kind of start with the context. Right? Is our founders started this company because they wanted to get people outdoors, exploring the real world, you know, and then doing it while talking, interacting with people. Right. So it's all about kind of getting to know the neighborhood, seeing your neighborhood around you, you know, in a different way or exploring new neighborhoods that you haven't been to. It all kind of started when, you know, their kids were kind of on their devices when the day was beautiful outside and, and then the founders were just like, how can we get these kids outside? I'm sure many of us kind of have the same, can, can, can empathize, right? So that, that's where sort of like the premise of all of our games are based on. And so kind of like getting people outside, exploring the real world, doing it with our technology and meeting new people. The part that I that I lead is sort of primarily on the, the growth. So we're looking at getting current players to keep playing. These are the current users. We measure based on, you know, sort of 
how many people were here playing today? How many were they playing last week? We look at at-risk players. So basically ones who are basically about to churn. What, what can we do to recognize them and get them from leaving? And then as well as focusing on the players who have churned, what can we do to kind of get them back? So my team kind of looks at a lot of new features, looks at things. We look at the data to see sort of like what areas and what features aren't tracking well. And then we run basically a ton of experiments. We start off with educated hypotheses. And then, you know, being a player myself, you know, it's, it can be kind of easy to kind of figure out some things, at least that represents sort of the, the current user. But again, right, as all PMs know, you know, you never build things necessarily for yourself. You might represent sort of like one small segment of that, but there are so many more segments of, of players and users and different behaviors and reasons why they play or don't play. So having a lot of broad guesses and hypotheses and then kind of enact experiments to kind of meet those and then test it out and then based on the results kind of determine what's next is i would say in a nutshell what me and my team do how, how do you balance the i mean i'm sure as you are a user and you're using it and you have to balance for what you want with what you hope that it aligns the pattern aligns to your other you know users but i mean do you have us you have to always say okay mike don't i know you want that feature but don't do that one yet we got to push that one out like you're prioritizing it against yourself how do you balance that are you just using the data to help drive that or what's some of the tricks yeah that's a good question we look at a lot of stuff you know we look at sort of the data obviously right so yeah. if if the goal is to kind of increase the existing usage of something that's that's already happening perhaps it's low and we want to increase it Perhaps it's already high, but we still want to sort of reach a different target demographic, right? We have these different players categorized, right? Some do like to just do one activity. Other players like to just do one other something else, right? And so they, they have a completely different sort of personas. And so it, it really depends on sort of like whatever our goal is for that particular year or half. You know, if it's about getting people out more, right, then we look at the features and we sort of say, what can we do and what are reasonable targets to get them out at? But a lot of the ideas that we do, we do prioritize sort of like with just a broad scoring system where we look at sort of like, you know, what's, what's the potential reach? What's the impact? What is the confidence of this impacting those things? And then as well as effort. So looking at that, and then we kind of just do a general and it kind of, they kind of fall into line with the score. And then we kind of just prioritize that way. Wow, that's amazing. So just just curious, because, you know, the holidays are coming up and that's a very well-known season of tremendous fitness and, and general weight loss. No, I think that's the aspiration for New Year's and probably yeah, that's you, where it you stays. You indulge now and then you, you right. cut later. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I'm about to, you know, really pay for additional gym memberships starting in January 1st. And I think that's where that will end. I'm not going to go. I mean, obviously I've never gone. But the question is, it sounds like based on this data and what Kyle was saying, prioritizing certain features, it almost feels like you could almost drive certain behavior in your users, right? By, for example, starting new adventures or tournaments or whatever it may be, right, to get them more mm -hmm. moving. Do you guys ever consider things like, you know, maybe it's time to get moving after the holidays for New Year's to get people more exercising more? Or yeah, is that? Yeah, definitely. We know how strong of an influence we we are having on people's sort of walking behaviors and patterns, right? You see, for example, yeah. you use Strava, right? And so, you know, yep. a lot of people who use Strava, they'll they'll draw things, right? And then they'll kind of run around the city and then kind of share, you know, the more artistic yep. and creative folks will draw like, you know, a picture or, you know, or, do, you know, yeah, or, or something else. Hurtful message. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. We're not going to talk what they draw. Or dirty, right. dirty things. Creative. Yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> because very creative. And then so. A heart that went wrong. 
Yeah, yeah that's that's what it is. Yeah. So so we look at many players do the same thing, right? So many times, you know, you'll see a lot of this shared on online as well, right? Is sort of the fastest path from home to work generally is a straight line. But mm. then the meme will be, you know, oh, but if you're a Pokemon Go player or an Ingress player or a Pikmin Bloom player, right? Yeah. That, that's not like the this, case, right? right? The case is like, yeah, this is the, this is the way <laughs> this I get picture. to work. Yeah, yep. and 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 so we we know how strong of an influence we have, and that's awesome. And that's sort of like what we do, right? Is our our goal is to get people out about and and walking around. And so you know we have features that kind of essentially are almost like scavenger hunts, or they are like walking tours. We do that based on points of interest in the world, whether they're you know monuments, parks, statues, just an important thing that you may not have noticed, but our game sort of brings to life by making the, the world game board. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So so that's great. And based on that, I wanted to to kind of ask you now, obviously we may have all tried to forget this, but and it may be too soon to bring it up. So for our sensitive listeners, I apologize immediately, but there was a pandemic going on. And obviously that changed a lot of people's lifestyles, right? In terms of, you know, that walk to work maybe was no longer as long because it was just from the bedroom to the office right at at the house so how did that change for you guys when when there was a pandemic going on did you guys do something else you know what did that look like from your perspective yeah i mean to be honest we had an initial moment of panic and kind of wondering you know what will this do to our game because we are predicated on getting people outdoors right and this was a time where nobody knew anything you know there was a brief period thank goodness of sheltering in place and then then even when you were allowed to go outside, it was still like six feet apart kind of thing. And so so we were like, what is this going to do to our game? So we really had to kind of meet the players where they were and kind of adapt as a business, as well as sort of like our our duty to kind of make this game, you know, for many, many players, you know, still a part of their lives. We actually, you know, made many changes, like instead of going out to seek Pokemon, we did it where at least one daily Pokemon might spawn near you so that you didn't have to go out to it, right? We made it where your buddy your Pokemon buddy would actually go out and get gifts for you instead of having to go out and have to get gifts. One of our primary ways to engage players is are these things called raids, where you have to kind of go to a, a point of interest, basically use your ticket as a pass, as an entrance fee. And then, you know, you have to kind of like battle this together with other people. And so obviously this was going to be a lot more difficult with the pandemic. So we, we had to kind of adapt. And so those were kind of the features that we made. And then we also introduced this thing called the remote raid pass at the time. So Essentially, if you could see it from your from your map view, you could be able to enter, enter it from a distance and from afar. You could also be able to invite friends. And so we we saw a lot of the community kind of shift online and do more. And so we still kind of had this hybrid of in-person gameplay, but we also included sort of a remote aspect to it as well. You know, the restrictions start to, to alleviate. There's probably a surge of energy of, wanting, of people wanting to do these interactions and wanting to do those raids. And did you find that overwhelming? Did you find it, you know, you were able to kind of scale with it or, you know, did you, you know, what, I guess, what were some of the things that you discovered out of that surge when all of a sudden the doors open and people wanted to do this now and how, how did that change the product or change how you, 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 you looked at it? Yeah. Even during the, during the, I guess the, the height of the pandemic, we still found a lot of players going outside, not, not, not breaking any rules, of course, because all our players are, are rules followers of course. And, and everything. Yeah. But once, once things started to lighten up a little bit, people actually still remarked how Pokemon Go was actually keeping many of them sane, right? Because, you know, as we all know, kind of like going out, exercising kind of is really good for your mental. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many of us kind of had bouts of cabin fever, right? When you're stuck inside, 
home. And so kind of really getting some sunshine, you know, walking around, doing stuff, even solo, right? As long as you're walking out and getting up there, sort of that can kind of like really be great for the, the mental and the, and the physical. And then as sort of like I started getting sort of lessening even more and, and restrictions started lifting, then it's sort of like, you know, okay, well, now we introduced all these things that were for remote. How can we get it back? It's really hard to kind of turn back now, now that we've kind of unleashed the floodgates of remote play and trying to get players back to the way it was before, because we actually got a pretty big wave of new players during the pandemic. And so these players did not know what Pokemon Go was like pre-pandemic. And so they're like, oh yeah, I've always been able to raid and catch this legendary Pokemon in Japan, right? How come now you're telling me I can't raid this legendary Pokemon in Japan and I actually have to walk 30 feet to go do it to and find other people to do it? Like, you know, not to actually have to coordinate, you know, with three or four other people to do it and actually talk to them, right? Like, how dare you? I was so comfortable just doing this from my couch. Mm. So I feel like that was quite honestly a pretty big struggle that, you know, we, we went through and in fact are still going through. There's still a lot of this sort of behavior where players are like, you know, hey, Niantic is being too harsh. You know, they, they're trying to make us go outside and play these games. I just want to play these games from my desk, right? And so I think there's still a lot of that, but that's something that's always existed from the beginning. Is, yeah. And actually, we even had shirts made because a lot of players would call our help center in the beginning years that basically said, hey, how do I get my character to move? in the game and not knowing that you actually had to move in real life in order to move your character in the game. So that's, that's sort of like something that's always existed. But, but that's an interesting like oh. conundrum you're in though, right? Because I mean, the premise, I mean, the premise was to get people to get out and, and to exercise. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of games where you can sit on your couch and just, you know, do that. Where do you draw a line where do I chase those users Right where you know and they're buying customers too, but it's not really the core value of what we're trying to do. We want outdoor involvement, social interaction, and but then you know if I'm gearing and directing to this new persona who wants to sit on the couch and play, and like is this really the right thing? I mean, I guess how did you balance the staying with the value and going with that, but also you know not you know cutting out a whole new user group that you you want to monetize to? Yeah, I think that's that's something that we just keep in mind with any new feature or even existing feature that we have today is we want to ensure that the the core of it is still on getting players outside and, and, and walking about and doing things. But we also want to provide them the optionality of, you know, perhaps being able to do some, some of the gameplay virtually, so to speak. And so we want to always kind of like make sure even if people don't like it, it's finding that balance of being not too heavy handed by saying like, you know, oh, we're your parents. We know vegetables are good for you. Just eat it. Right, right, right. Kind of, kind of principle, you know, and then after the fact, we're hoping that players will say, oh yeah, hey, you know, vegetables were good for me. Getting outside and walking, getting some of that fresh air actually was good for me. Yeah. You know, I think not many people will appreciate that, but I think it's something that our founders and our company really, really want to stick to. And so it's something that is kind of part of every single conversation that we have. Yeah. Always going, always going back to the values, you know, why you company was founded and driving that and you're right you may you make it is that balance but at the end of the day you know you, you really want to drive people and you know the new not new but just getting that them to you know take advantage of being outside and exercising and, and working with people and playing with people i mean that's the thing that's that's what makes it so special one of the things that i wanted to to get back to is that transition back out of you know the pandemic world right to to the thing i when we chatted prior to chatting right now you mentioned that you know you meant you made a couple of features that really helped your users 
go through the pandemic, stay at home, right? But then as they transition to the outside, those features, particularly like the remote rate pass, right, started to to really not be as advantageous as they used to be because now people are back outside and it would allow things. And and so you were, again, left with that choice of balance, of game balance, right? Like how do you rebalance the game given the changing conditions? And so maybe could you talk us a little bit through like w- what is your your process and how you think about you know, changing things, right? So notably, you know, it's much, much nicer if the game balance goes in the direction of of the user, right? It's nice to get a discount. It's nice to get more stuff, uh, et cetera. But, you know, the, the ultimate thing is you just get stuff for free, right? <laughs> then it's perfect. It's worse when you raise prices or you limit something, right? And so we've seen that on occasion where different services, whether it's streaming, movie, behemoths try to up the price, right? Or maybe some of the game framework providers try to raise prices or monetize certain things, right? And then just causes a, a, an upset. So how do, how do you guys, you know, change that those kinds of things about your game, given it's constantly being used by users that have a, obviously a history with you guys and know what to, to expect may have accommodated certain things, right? And not the easy changes, which is just give them more stuff, but the ones where you actually take things away or need to rebalance things, right? Yeah. Where you kind of make it less than it used to be. Can you maybe give us an example of how you guys yeah. wrestle with that? Yeah. And even to your point of easy stuff, giving stuff for free, even that actually is not that easy for us in our game because huh. um, our game is, we can't just kind of give things. We actually have to kind of watch the game economy. Kind of if you, for players who have too much of one inventory item, you know, we don't want them to kind of keep that forever. You know, we want to make sure that they kind of use things. Otherwise, it'll lead to like stockpiling and hoarding, which means that they, they'll never kind of use a particular thing. So we need, to kind of, we need to kind of find economy sinks. So we can't just kind of be free-flowing with all the goods, so to speak, because it kind of does devalue the primary reason why I think players play our game, which is for the content, aka the Pokemon. And so, which is why we don't also just release every single Pokemon that's available in the, in the Pokemon universe. We kind of, you know, let out a little bit at a time you kind of like keep them at, at, at bay. But to answer your question, sort of like the things that we kind of do, one of the features that we worked on, again, because we we're aware of so many impacts that even a small feature may have, as well as how it may be perceived, is, is all through just experimentation. One of the things that we did is, you know, we know that players were kind of hesitant to get outside. And then when they were outside, you know, we had a, a, a countdown timer, for example, for these raids as people gather. And so yeah. a lot of players were complaining, saying, you know, hey, we already have, the requisite number of players here. Let's go. Right? Why? Yeah. Let's just let's just go. Why are we still waiting? This is stupid, right? I don't want to be exposed to this guy's germs, you know, any longer than I have to be. Let's just kind of get in and get out. And then being a player myself, right? I've I've experienced this frustration, right? You see it on the you see it on all the message boards, and then you also kind of see complaints about it. And so, an, an idea that we had that we wanted to test was sort of this ability to like ready up, so to speak, right? So once everyone is in this raid. And you see how many people are there. If there's enough, everyone can kind of press this button saying, I'm ready. And then if everyone has readied up, then we kind of just go ahead and just start the process without any waiting. You know, it sounds like a no-brainer, but there are a lot of things that we still need to kind of keep in mind, especially when we want to be aligned with our principles, right? Because some people can kind of just go out, ready up, and then just like leave. And it kind of gets away from the social aspect. We still want people to kind of meet, right? We're not trying to force them to, you know, get married or become best friends, right? But at least acknowledge, hey, here's another human being, you know, hi, we're all playing Pokemon Go together, cool, and then, you know, leave, right? But at least that's a little better than just kind of, you know, just hitting a ready and then leaving. Being able to ready up, perhaps that kind of actually 
discourages making new friends, right? Because people might know, hey, it only takes three people to defeat this raid boss, right? So as soon as we just do, you know, hey, I'm just going to create two more accounts and I'm going to just, you know, ready up and then I'm going to just leave. And then by that, it kind of closes out the raid so that some, some actual person that actually wanted to join is yeah. now left out. And then now this person has to play by themselves and then maybe, or mate for another real person to show up and they never show up. And so there, there were a lot of concerns that we had to kind of do. And so the real thing we had to do is just experiment, like everything we do, experiment and test to see what the impacts are. So we have this hypothesis that will improve the game from sort of usage, from a revenue standpoint and from a retention standpoint, but we don't know. So the only way to do that is through testing, right? So, so the kind of the key things that we look at are are the things I just said, right? So retention, we look at sort of like, you know, what does it do to overall, you know, day one, day seven, day 30 retention for the player? What does it do to the revenue? We assume that it'll increase because if you can ready up, that means you would probably do more raids and these raid passes cost money. And so we would hope that it would also improve that. And then we also look to see what's the impact to what we call real world social, right? Did, did it actually make players walk more kilometers? Did they interact with more POIs? Did they make more friends? So for that particular experiment, those were the three things that we, we looked at. And so we, we, do, we run an essential A-B test, so to speak, right? So we look at it, we set a sort of a, a certain region. We couldn't just sort of do it globally across the board and just pick, you know, 20% control. It was a general population, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we can't just use the general population because it's, it's a geographic feature. You wouldn't want it where, it, for example, if like, you know, you and I are both at a raid, you're in experiment and I'm in the control, right? And then so I, you know, you would see the button, but I wouldn't I'm see ready. the button being in the You're control, right? And I'm like, yeah. wait, I don't, I'm not ready, right? So that's why this experiment had to be a little bit different and then it was geographic mm-hmm. based, right? So we, you know, we took paired, we have paired cities. So we say, you know, hey, we're going to roll it out to this city. And then it's, it's equivalent sort of twin city based on demographics, playtime, usage, and everything. And so we have these pairings across the world. And then, so we just ran that across the board. We run it for what we believe is a, is a duration where we will actually achieve statistical significance to kind of see like, you know, what impacts does it have? And then based on that, we then ex- evaluate the results and then kind of see whether or not we go forward. Or not. And, and, Got it. and spoiler alert, it's out in the wild. So it was successful. Okay. All of those things that we measured either stayed the same or increased. And so as long as there was no negative impact to, to any of those things, then we would go ahead. Now, did you see that the kind of negative things you, you guys mentioned about with the ready up where they were clicking on and running away? Did you see, you know, to see where they were not being social, you, not the worst case scenario, but things that you thought would happen were happening in the game. And did you try to find ways to mitigate that at all? Or, or what, what, what were some of the thoughts there? Yeah, I think, I mean, our, our players and just players and gamers in general, right, will always find a way to, to min max and to cheat and do things. So there was no way, you know, Lucas is nodding a little too, too passionately there, but there's always going to be ways that they kind of cheat. And so you can't or, or exploit or, you know, kind of like push the envelope, right? So there's optimize. I like to think optimize. of it as optimize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're aware of it. But it's sort of like, is the juice worth the squeeze oh, yeah. for us to kind of chase down, you know, the, those, that small percentage of, of optimizers. And as long as sort of like everything else still increases and everything is going up, then I think we're happy. You know, yeah. the players will then just find other things to complain about. So even though all those metrics are increasing, they're still going to say, oh, well, why can't we, you know, ready up faster? Or why can't we, you know, do this? Or, hey, I readied up and, you know, then all these players that said they were going to, you know, join abandoned, you know, like 
Like there are a lot of things that, you know, just we still rely on humans to do these things. And with humans, there's both the good and the bad. Mm. I see. Yeah. So, but the, yeah. and it's 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 it, it true. I mean, you're, you're going to have people who are always going to try to optimize and, and and win in the game. And and sometimes that may be a plus too. I mean, if they're if they're kind of doing it, they're probably excited about it. They're probably heavy users. So there's kind of yeah. a you know double edged sword there. Huh, that's really amazing. Yeah. Even something like this, we had to be very careful about because we have people who are mining our builds that we push out to our even to our tests and dev environments, mm-hmm. right? So we have these miners who look for things and then they look at sort of like. The, the protos and the client code changes. And then they're like, oh, a change is being made to this. Oh, new Pokemon are being introduced. And then everyone's like, yes, this is awesome. So there's a lot of things, you know, it shows, you know, shows that that we have a passionate player base. And so yeah, it's, it's a engagement good Engagement is of, there, right? Yeah, engagement is definitely there. Yeah, but you do have to be careful what you put up there, right? You do a merge request and all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, what did, what happened to that yeah. feature? Where was it? Don't do that one. I mean, you, you get yep. you get almost uh, instantaneous feedback on on you know a code drop, which is which is uh, very high, hyperactive. But yeah, just the other day, we actually the, the engineer actually mistakenly put out in their code misspelled the word button, oh. and then the, the miners were like, "Oh, hey, I don't know what a button oh, no. is, but I think it's a button, right?" You know, they're they're kind of joking <laughs> with us too. And then so we're like, "Oh, hey, great, this is extra QA." Yeah. You know, it's true. You uh, got your Q- well, yeah, you don't want to have your user QAing it, but it's funny. Maybe you can even give them like a, a surprise if they if they find a bug, they get a I don't know, maybe a token or something, a bug bounty. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So the amazing thing I think that that's the takeaway that I think we don't realize, particularly you know. Kyle and I are obviously B2B, right? And so the number of customers we deal with and and their user base is relatively small. And surprisingly, you know, business entities don't go viral. They generally don't post on message boards or tweet, you know, their their findings, although sometimes they do, but not not as en masse as you might have. But we have to realize that obviously this game is extremely popular. It is played worldwide by, you know, many, many people of different age groups, right? I mean, you're talking about adults like myself, and obviously my children are playing this, right? And my children are online, and I'm I'm not sure how much they're reined in in terms of their commentary and diplomatic and constructive feedback, right? So you just have to obviously be very careful with what you do. But at the same time, you do have this massive amount of data, that you can look at. And I think that's that's what's very interesting. We talk about decisions being made based on data and, and you live that every day, right? Obviously looking at the right metrics and et cetera. I think some of these you've talked about already and that you're looking at. That's what I think is very, very fascinating that you can be data-driven. While at the same time, I think you still retain the same thing that I think all product managers feel, which is that not all of your users are happy all the time <laughs> and you cannot make everybody happy, right? And so you're constantly except dealing with the... Except <laughs> Right. Our, our customers are amazing and... And, and they find so, Zora. So no problem with Zora. Them. Everything's fine. That's right. And so there's always that, you know, I guess that region between users that are super, super happy and users that complain, right? And and understanding whether you're still in the golden middle where you're not making everybody happy, et cetera. So, you know, are there certain things you, you guys watch out for from a data perspective that gives you a heads up that maybe things are, you know, either too good or or too bad and, and you're able to to take the appropriate steps to rebalance things out? Yeah. We monitor stuff probably a little too much. You know, it's almost like they say when you watch us, you know, when you buy a stock, you know, you shouldn't actually be watching it like every single minute, but we actually do watch things every single day to see if it's like going up or going down. And it kind of can drive us crazy, right? But I think as product people, that's what you kind of have to do. 
And I think the important thing is kind of like view that data all in like context, right? So if you're looking at sort of like your DAU and maybe you're like, oh my gosh, it decreased based on the prior week, right? Well, then, you know, how did it do, you know, the previous year and the year against yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the what were the factors that were in play? What kind of content, right? So because we're a live game huh. that is based on what is currently sort of in the rotation of Pokemon, right? So we have these things called seasons and different times of like, you know, if it's a water season or a fire season, right? And Pokemon have different types, right? Whether they're fire yes, or water yes, or electric yeah. kind of things. So perhaps players just don't like fire Pokemon, but they really like water Pokemon, right? And so there's so many different things that we kind of look at. So we kind of had to kind of like keep track and we see sort of like, you know, okay, well, of the players potentially, right? You know, we, we segment them into like different cohorts, right? I've kind of mentioned the different segments and cohorts before of the personas. Some people just like to walk and then some people just like to battle. Some people just like to visit POIs. But one thing we kind of look at is sort of like, because the game is essentially a catch em, catch all of them game, we look at sort of like their, it's called Pokedex, right? Which is like, you know, what is the inventory of all the Pokemon that are available in the world versus what each person has caught. So one key thing that we look at is actually sort of like, you know, what percentage of Pokedex entries do players have filled? We look at sort of like, what are, what Pokemon are they getting rid of? What are they keeping? And we kind of look at that. So if players are, for example, filling their, their decks pretty highly and then, or, or they're not doing that, then we know there's certain adjustments to be made, right? If the lower level users have not done anything, but we've seen them kind of play for a long time, you know, that kind of gives us a hint that, you know, perhaps the game's too difficult. If the higher level players perhaps are not playing or catching things at the rate that they used to, you know, perhaps they're getting bored. I'm running out of things to do, right? So there's a lot of things that we kind of have to consider, but then we have to always kind of test it out and see and dig a little deeper with numbers and then also kind of target experiments directly at the cohort that we want to kind of test the theory on and then see whether or not it rings true. Yeah, that's, that's, that, yeah, that's a part of like, you have to kind of filter through the noise of all the data that you're getting in. And I like the way you, you figured like, I, I create these segments, I kind of know then, you know, type of segment of a, of a user, what they're focused on. And then you have an overall kind of a, a indicator, right, with the, the Pokemon index. And that kind of helps kind of, you know, gravitate kind of some of that as well. But I guess that's like yep. the metric from the, from the, the actual usability, but do you, you have a way of filtering like all the comments, like all the, like the user feedback and what are the ways to kind of sort that out? Do you also follow in the same way with segment them as well? And then kind of sort through those, those the, the particular user comments or what's the best way to filter all that, that data? Yeah. I, you know, I think we don't use any sort of sentiment mm, analysis okay. or anything, you know, we just. We, we're aware of all of the feedback. We look at all of the feedback, but kind of similar to like Yelp, for example, right? You're going to get your most passionate people who will either love it or hate it posting about it. And usually it's the hate it's that post it. And so it's, it's great to kind of see that. But I think the, the sort of trap that we always want to be wary not to fall into is right. Just kind of like jumping right at the loudest, mm. most passionate screen you know, wheel. users, right? They, yeah. yeah. They give that feedback. And so you go, oh, okay sure, let's see how many, you know, real users actually are doing this, right? Let's look at the data and let's see, you know, hey, is this sort of like a small segment? Is it just this one particular person? Is it a small cohort? We look at that and even though, you know, we don't dismiss it, right? But we say like, you know, is there, do we see if there's an influence or impact that this cohort of users has, right? Because our game, we actually do have that, right? We have the influencers who play our game and influencers sort of say one thing, you know, sort of a lot of the players will kind of notice it and they may not have noticed before, Right. And then kind of has a trickle down effect. And so we are aware of it, but I think there's no 
there's no technology there. It's just a lot of just kind of keeping our fingers on the pulse, yeah. monitoring it ourselves and looking at it. And then based on that, kind of doing an assessment as to, you know, is this valid feedback that we act on or is this just something to kind of like stick in our back pocket and be aware of? Well, you know, first of all, what are they saying? Um, what's the core of what they're trying to get at, right? If they're complaining about this, is the real thing that they're just bored? Is it really just, you know, hey, they're just frustrated with cost or price or difficulty or friction? You know, what's the real like reason behind sort of like this this comment? Yeah. So I think those are all the things that we kind of look at when we when we monitor all of the, the feedback. Very, very cool. Mikey, I'm going to try and pull this all together. Are there any sort of high-level summary items or things that you would recommend PMs that may be in similar situations or maybe don't even have that same context, meaning lots of users, lots of feedback, lots of data to work with, but any sort of takeaways based on kind of the quantitative and A-B testing work that you're doing that you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think just even as much as something may be a potential no-brainer, you know, we can't really know whether or not it is actually that until you've actually tested it and measured it, right? There are so many times where we would think something would be a no-brainer, you know, and you would roll it out. But thing is, is like, if you can't measure it, how do you know how much of an impact it actually had? And so kind of like being able to like test, I would say, you know, always sort of challenge your own assumptions. We're paid to have opinions, right? <laughs> and so, but you need to have opinions and you need to be able to, to measure and verify those opinions, right? Yeah, and so- yeah, and validate them, yeah. So I would just say, challenge everything that you have, even your own opinions, test it, and then make sure you can measure it. I would say it's probably like the key, key things. Wonderful. Awesome. Mikey, thank you very much. Very fascinating look at Pokemon Go and what it takes to run a game for many, many people and, and keep those people engaged and coming back. Really appreciate you joining us today. And we're hoping to check in with you again in the future and see what other tests you've done and, and what lessons you've learned. Thanks, okay. Lucas. Thanks, Kyle. It was good seeing you guys again. Yeah, seeing you. Yeah, it was a great conversation. It's good to see Mikey again. I like the story on ReadyUp, the the new feature he had with ReadyUp, and how you know he was figuring out how that that feature would work with you know the the users and if they were going to abuse it or they're not yeah. going to use it. And then he you know he he pulled back and said, well, at the end of the day, we focus on kind of the things to measure like retention, revenue, real world social impact. That he can then see if it you know was successful, and that's why he came back. When we we I don't think we even asked him. He said, "Yeah, it was a success. It hit the metrics and all that." Because you can almost dwell on on the negatives of that, right? You yeah. can say, "Well, maybe they're using it to work around the system, and we're not getting the impact." And you know, your future kind of has that weird, like, "Oh, is it successful? Did it work?" But if you have those clear things to measure, you can show that okay, did what it needed to. Do. We'll take the I say the bad, but some of the the you know the things that they thought were going to go wrong did happen but it wasn't like like you know it was like oh my gosh it's over we have good measures for that but it always goes back to like i like you know because with this product you have so much so many user input and so much stuff that filtering out that noise is essential and i think that uh, the pokemon index is also another good one where you can kind of measure how successful each user is doing by the percentage of uh, filled in you yeah, know, of the uh, Pokemon cod. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so that also another way of kind of like, you know, filtering the noise from 
all your users and all the things and pull out what's important and make sure you're driving that and not change kind of like your, your, your values or even the way the product's designed uh, based on uh, not having a measurable output. So data is very important on what he was doing and that, that showed it. Would you, would, yeah. would you take out of there? Lucas? Oh yeah. I mean, lots of things again, just from a context perspective, you know, the thing that obviously is very, very different from my world, right. is just the number of users and the amount of feedback that Mikey's getting. Right. And mm-hmm. the fact that he can be data driven, right. From, from our side, Again, not that many users. We're still obviously data driven at Zora side, but it's it's yeah. it's different, right? We don't look at you know X, formerly known as Twitter, comments or message boards or anything like that, right? It's just not not where it is. Whereas uh, for Mikey, like th- that's one of the the signals that he's yeah exactly yeah. that he's watching at, right? And so with that, he can do that A/B testing. But you saw it, it isn't just A/B testing randomly, right? They have to be very Mm -hmm. conscious and understand the context of what they're working with and where it's effective. Uh, And of course, I I have a sneaky suspicion that because the game has been around for so long, they've found that balance where they're able to tweak certain things small that isn't big swings, right? Because big swings can upset the the user base, et cetera. So these are all things that are incrementally pushing things in one way or the other. And they can then, as he said, test it out for a while, see what the results are, right? And then tweak it some more and and balance it such that it it has the intended effect and minimize the negative consequences, right? So so that's, that's really fascinating to be able to work in a world with that much data to, to work with. I was going to, at some point, ask him, but, you know, when he does these tests, obviously, I'm sure he has hypotheses that are backed up with data, but, you know, is there ever a validation that he actually does with the actual users? I have a sneaking suspicion that's probably just simply monitoring the feedback on the message boards because yeah. I'm, I'm sure it comes out, right, almost organically. So maybe that's that's how it is. Because sometimes you'll make a theory and a hypothesis and you test it and you get the data back, right? And we all have the bias of hoping the data supports what we were hoping to see, right? But the question is, is it truly reflective of what the the user experience is, is always an interesting way to, to sort of trust but verify what's going on there. But in any case, very, very useful conversation and a really fascinating look at a massive business to consumer business model, right? That That's driving users to exercise after all, but also have fun by playing the game. Yeah. Uh, fascinating look at that world from Mikey Chang and that's it for, for our episode today so thank you so much for joining us and hope you hit the subscribe button and we'll see you on the next episode